Ever since I was a small boy, I've been obsessed with movies, books, and music. But as I grow older, I've begun to realize that these things increasingly miss the mark of fulfilling who we are meant to be. But they seem to have a common theme. They point us to a greater story, a greater adventure, a greater love, a greater joy. On this show, we dive into some of our favorite themes in songs, books, and movies so that we can begin the discussion of what our fascination with these stories actually reveal. A desire for something more. A desire for the unknown. A desire for love. A desire for God. Welcome to the adventure. Let's get started. Back to the Christian culture. This is Clint again. We are still here in Iowa. Uh, it's still pretty cold up here. And I'm back again with my former teacher from high school, my theology teacher, Anthony Digman. So you want to go ahead and tell them where they can find you? Yeah, it's great to be joining you again. I'd love to connect with any of you guys out there who especially love Star Wars and Catholicism that are two of my favorite things in the whole world. Yeah, yeah. You can find me at anthonydigman.com. That's A-N-T-H-O-N-Y-D-I-G-M-A-N-N.com. On there, you can find me Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Shoot me an email, connect with me. I'd love to touch base with you um, and talk Star Wars and Catholicism. And again, we'll have links to his stuff all over our page for the next couple of weeks for sure. And then once his book comes out here, we'll be getting hopefully some information of that too. So you guys can get your hands on that. Anthony's kind of to Star Wars what I am to Lord of the Rings. So <laughs> you guys have already heard my rants on that. So hopefully you can bear with us for our geekiness a little bit longer. But there's a lot of good stuff in here. So hopefully, hopefully you guys are following along and, and enjoying what we have here. So we wanted to start off though with, first of all, major spoiler alerts for this one. We are going to be talking about the newest Star Wars film, the Last Jedi that just came out this month. If you haven't seen it yet, please stop now because we are going to be tearing that movie apart and just talking about all of its highs, its lows, and all of the Catholic references that we see Christ in throughout. So if you haven't seen it, pause now, go watch the movie, come back, listen to the podcast, and tell us what you think there. We'll start off just by kind of breaking down what we thought about the movie in general just as major geeks and nerds that we are <laughs> and we'll go from there so what, what were your initial thoughts anthony so i've seen the movie twice i went to opening night i've only missed one opening night of a star wars film in my entire life and i was not yet nine months old when <laughs> return of the jedi came out so i think that that's forgivable yeah sure. but my my opening night experience I, I enjoyed. I don't think that I was super excited about. There was a lot for me to process coming out of it. Certainly a lot of twists and turns, which is something that I really appreciated. Coming out of The Force Awakens, Episode 7, it does so much rehashing of the original trilogy that I was just kind of nervous going into this one yeah, that they might sure. do that again. But, you know, they kind of set that up like the Emperor's Throne Room with Snoke, and they kind of set it up with Crate, kind of looks a lot like Hoth. So I was nervous that they were going to do it again, but I really like the way the director, Ryan Johnson, took some of the things and had a lot of twists and turns. I was surprised. So I really got to give credit to Ryan Johnson and his team and Lucasfilm on this one that the twists and turns were great. I didn't see a lot coming. I was entertained, you know, so that was a lot of fun. How about you? Yeah, I mean, that was my initial thought too. They definitely had you kind of expecting one thing and then experiencing the other. Definitely the throne room threw everyone off. 
One of my big things, though, looking at Princess Leia, one downside that I thought, and this isn't a huge thing, but kind of her using the Force after her apparent death, just kind of surprising to me, I guess, would mm-hmm. be the best word, just because she doesn't really embrace the Force a lot throughout the story. We see her using it just that one time, I think, when she's listening, kind of sensing Luke and knowing that he's safe and stuff like that. But other than that, we don't really see her using that a whole lot. Then all of a sudden she uses this the Force in a really, really powerful way where she's pulling her entire body and, and, and kind of saving herself in that way. Right. Uh, so that was kind of just surprising to me. It's not like a make or break, but I thought it would have been kind of a good farewell and a way to kind of explain the situation there and kind of let Leia go. Yeah, there were definitely elements with that scene that I think I might have done a touch differently. I mean, I we didn't really know going into the film how much Leia was able to use the Force. There's novels and things that talk about how she's able to sense Ben growing in her womb and she can tell details like he's a boy and she can sense the the light side in him with just a little bit of darkness slicing through it, which her brother Luke tells her is everybody has, Mm -hmm. which is a nice piece from uh, from some of the novels. So we know that she's definitely Force-sensitive, but we don't see Leia use the Force, you know? And to see Leia use it for the first time in that way, it kind of it threw me off just a little too. I think I would have done it in a different way. I heard one commentator suggest that maybe, you know, a part of the ship could have exploded and Leia could have been almost crushed and used the force to prevent herself, you know, or maybe she was trapped and she used the force to escape, you know, mm-hmm. at the last moment, just out of this this sheer emotion and the will to survive that elicits this power from the force that maybe she didn't even know that she had to do things physically with the force. I think that would have been cool. It threw me just a little that she's floating in space, you know, maybe the physics of it and her survival of ability out there just kind of bothered me a little bit in in how they did that. But, you know, the physics in the Star Wars universe and galaxy are not the same as here. (laughs) You know, here, the faster you move, space and time are related. The faster you move, the slower time seems to be for you. So uh, there, that's not true. Time is galactic standard time everywhere. So George Lucas created a a different law of physics, which is why I maintain that even though Star Wars isn't real, they are in a separate universe (laughs) than ours. You know, how about the humor? How did you feel about the humor in the film? Starting off, I think there's a few forced humor, but overall, I think it was pretty good. And I heard that the humor was kind of put in by some of the actors themselves, and I think that made it a little bit more natural at certain points. But early on, I think there was a few points that were kind of just a little forced. Just that city, there's just something about it that just didn't fit right with me. It was nothing major, again, not like a huge issue that ruined the movie for me, but it was something about the animation or kind of the... the Uh, The corniness factor of it, of some of the characters within the casino, kind of threw me for a loop, but overall wasn't a huge downside for me, so I I thought it was overall pretty good. There were elements of it that I, of the humor that just kind of threw me off just a little bit. For example, throwing me off uh, right at the reign of seven and, you know, what's going to happen and the way that Luke just, that music stops and he takes the lightsaber and throws it over his shoulder. You know, I was listening to some commentators on that and they said, yeah, I didn't really like it so much. It it seemed disrespectful to the lightsaber and the tradition and the history there, but I'm not sure how I would have done it differently. And I'm thinking, I can think of a way I'd do it differently. I I think it would have fit his character better and it would have respected the lightsaber 
lights. I mean, by Obi-Wan Kenobi. Right. And it was his father's. And Luke was like 18 years old, this moisture farmer on Tatooine. He doesn't know anything about his father. And as we commented uh, in our, our previous show together, just in the hero's journey, that was Joseph Campbell's contribution from mythology. Everybody who engages in that has a, a device. And like you kind of commented about the rosary last time, right, yeah. the lightsaber is like that device. So it's just, it's too precious. It's too sacred. The last time that he saw that lightsaber, it was cut off of his hand by his father when it was revealed that that Vader was his father. And it was just too precious of an object to toss it aside like that. I think what would have been better is if Ray comes up to him and he just didn't take it at all. You know, not take it and throw it over his shoulder, not take it and drop it, but just just walk away. Just walk yeah. right around her or just say, you can keep it, kid. Or that's not for me, you know, or, or just not say anything. But to take it and throw it over his shoulder threw me for a loop. But other humor really works. Some people criticize uh, Poe Dameron when he's doing the phone call with General Hux. Still holding. Still holding, General <laughs> Hux. You know, I actually really like that for two reasons. One, it matches Poe's character. Yeah, that's how he acted sure. when he met... Uh, Kylo Ren for the first time. So who talks first? You talk first, I talk first, you know? <laughs> so it matches, especially in a moment of tension with the enemy. That's how Poe works, yeah. you know? So that works for me that way. Plus, it has a purpose. He's firing up his engines. He's charging his engine for that big blast when he when he flies all over uh, that ship blowing up all the guns and stuff. So that worked for me. The caretakers, when they're driving their wheelbarrow and Ray cuts off that chunk of stone and it rolls down and takes out, you know, the wheelbarrow, you know, that works for me. You know, yeah. I thought that that was funny. The porg roasting by Chewbacca and how guilty they're trying to make him feel, you know, that works for me, you know? Yeah. So some of the humor really worked for me. Uh, that very first one kind of, it, it set a poor tone for me and it made me nervous for how much are they going to cheapen things. Yeah, and, and I think they kind of settle into it as, as it goes throughout, and I think you made some really good points. Poe, oh, I, I lost <laughs> it in that scene. That was so funny. But I, I think overall the humor kind of settled into its place throughout, and, and it got better as the, the movie went on. I would agree. I think one of the hardest things for me, and again, we kind of talked about this before we started recording, but I think this, I hope they, they show more of it in, into the next, next movie, but with Snoke. Lord Snoke, mm -hmm. with the scene where they, they struck him down, it was almost too abrupt for me. They they built him up as a super powerful character, and we talked about how he was so powerful that he was able to connect Ray and Ben together, mm -hmm. even when that same kind of exertion was too much for Luke in the end, and, mm -hmm. and we kind of talked about that a little bit. But he was able to do that, and then all of a sudden he goes in this cheap trick of a way and we don't ever learn much about where did he come from where was he in the past 30 years where was he during the time of the emperor because he would have still been around then he was fairly seemed fairly old mm -hmm. in in the movie so he was around and i highly doubt he kind of just developed these powers out of nowhere over the past 30 years so where was he where did he come from and, and why did he become so powerful all of a sudden I, I, that's something that i think since they built it up so much, we should know, you know, yeah. and, and I hope they dig into that more in the next movie. And uh, Yeah, I'm not sure. Out. I agree with you. I'm not sure we'll get lucky in the next movie. My guess is, is that'll probably be a novel or a, a graphic novel, comic book kind of thing that they'll, I, I, I think that they owe the fans that just to explore it somewhere yeah, because sure. that is one of the big unanswered questions is they bring about Snoke's death so swiftly that we don't see it coming. You know, I mean, it, we, we see the potential of it, but oh, it couldn't, couldn't happen that quickly, that easily, et cetera. Um, 
but yeah, I mean, the Snoke death scene, there was another big twist, you know, props mm-hmm. to Ryan Johnson and, and the way that that was written and planned and executed worked well. I'm also impressed that they, I feel like they got two big climaxes in this film which you don't usually see. Usually yeah. it's just, you know, one climax. Here you had the throne room with Snoke situation, but not just with Snoke, but then with Kylo Ren and Rey after they defeat the Praetorian guards and she's trying to get him to come and he's trying to get her to come and you know, you, you watch it fall apart just like Rey says, "Don't do this." It harkened back for me back to Padme on the landing platform of Mustafar when she's oh, saying to Anakin, sure. "You know, don't do this, you know, don't don't fall, you're a good person." Which was a nice connection for me, but that was one big pinnacle turning moment. I mean, it would have been possible to end the movie there because it was it was big enough. You know, what's going to happen with Kylo? What's going to happen with Rey? Oh, look, Snoke's gone. You know, that was big enough. And they do that. And then they still take us to crate. They give us this battle scene. They give us Luke and Kylo. And they give us this whole additional twist and a bigger and better climax. So props to Ryan Johnson and the way that they were able to give us two big climaxes, big moments in one film. Yeah, it was... Really, really special getting kind of that, that ending scene there. No one saw it coming. When Luke walked out of the, the doors there and they ordered the uh, all guns fired upon him, <laughs> I was like, no way is the main character going down like this. I was so frustrated. And then we see him come out and I'm like, duh, I was stupid to think that he, <laughs> he would go down that easily. He's Luke um, Skywalker. <laughs> right. And then we are fooled again with the big twist at the end. So right, right. Uh, We've got to get to that. Definitely, that more of that is coming. Yeah, for sure. So I, I really want to start off with Cancel Bite. So the Casino City, it's kind of this idea of the Sin City. You know, I, I think in, in our conversation you referred to it as kind of like Vegas. You know, mm-hmm. this is where people go. It's it's glamorous, but it's tempting, and kind of what happens there stays there. And, and we kind of get that because all the characters who are there are, for the most part, weapons dealers who are trying to avoid the war. So this is their place of hiding out and staying away from all the danger. And that's kind of their reward for helping the bad guys, as they call them. Mm-hmm. But we get this idea as the weapons dealers, after they're leaving, we see in their ship that they did a lot of bad, but they also served the rebels. You know, So they all, all had this kind of like element of good to them, even though they were doing it for the wrong reasons. Mm-hmm. And it shows a little of the good within even the evil characters. And I think that was a huge, huge theme throughout this movie is this idea that there's still a little bit of light even in the darkness. Mm-hmm. Um, so th- that's a really strong one in this movie and in all the movies in general. And I think it kind of shows us this internal struggle. And we see that a lot in our kind of main characters in this movie too, whether that be Ray, who is kind of back and forth and we weren't sure what is she going to do in that throne room? Is she going to join Kylo Ren? Is mm-hmm. she going to kind of turn on Luke? What is she going to do? And then Kylo Ren, Ben Solo, we see this play back and forth in that internal struggle of what is he going to do? And that throne room, I think, is a huge, huge scene where, at least for myself, I could have seen that going so many different directions. Sure. And we were all surprised on kind of how, how it happened there. But it really lets us dig into this internal struggle and that's the very same internal struggle that we have in our own life. And it's kind of this idea that we all have these temptations within us that are leading us one direction. But even when we maybe we feel like we are maybe the bad guys or we're in that kind of that dark place, kind of like we talked about in the last episode, we still have that, that redemption. We still have that light to cling to. Uh, no one is inherently evil. 
even if we may be to a certain extent corrupted by some of our, our sins, we are not what we have done in our past, but we, we still have that light to cling to. Definitely, definitely. Another thing that I like to draw out of the Canto Bight situation in the city and all of that stuff is how Star Wars in general likes to equate the good guys with a little bit more of nature or a nature consciousness. The bad guys are often in very sterile environments, very cold, very black, white, gray environments. Mm -hmm. Think Empire, think First Order, that kind of thing. You know, in Canto Bight, you get this extravagant, uh, high society kind of situation, but you you see the underbelly of that beast, you know, especially when Rose, Kelly Marie Tran's character, helps to show Finn, John Boyega's character, you know, look look closer at what's going on and we see the the children who are almost like maybe slaves and they're yeah. they're maybe taskmaster who's whipping the animals that are racing i'm not i don't i'm not familiar with the species or what you call them but again we see the the bad guys are treating nature poorly you know they're, they're doing things bad in that sense and all the way back to a new hope in 1977 george lucas had the bad guys in a black sterile environment on star destroyers and the death star and the good guys were living in the masazi temple on the rebel base where there's vines growing all over and stuff like that. So good guys tend to equate with the nature and doing, you know, good things with nature and good treatment of animals and bad guys are are given that negative sense. And in Canto Bite, you you don't get I mean, you get the beautiful picturesque nature and you get the underlying issue. So like you're saying, you know, you Canto Bite really helps illustrate I think like what you're saying, not all good, not all bad, a little bit of blend, you know, look deeper. I've never really thought about that before, but I think that's definitely speaks to a bunch of social issues that we have today and, and kind of our own call to be stewards of, of the earth and, and stuff like that. Definitely. So I think that's a really, really good uh, comparison there as well. One of the things that just really jumped out to me in this movie that I'm like, okay, well, we need to talk about this and the podcast for sure was Poe Dameron's quote. And he says, we're the spark that will light the fire that'll burn the first order down. And at first... You might be thinking, why would this have anything to do with the podcast? But I think this is actually similar to a motto for a lot of young Catholics today. And a lot of us try to live that. If you're familiar with a quote by St. Catherine of Siena, she said, if you are who you are created to be, then you will set the world on fire. You know, And it's this idea that if we are who we are created to be, if we are living the gospel, if we are being the Christians that we are created for, that we are meant to be, and that... God intended us to to live, if we're doing that, it's contagious. It spreads. And that's the same kind of idea that Poe was trying to show with them being the spark that'll kind of ignite the rebellion, reignite, I guess, and bring down the first order. And that kind of goes to the idea that we are the light of the world. If we are living how we are meant to live, if we are being Christians as Christians should, then People will see that. People notice that. That is a, a flame, a spark that others see. And, and holiness is attractive. You know, when, when we see holiness in someone, we want that. We see that joy and we want that. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of the same idea that they're going here. Their, their desire to serve, their desire to save the world is something that others want, but they just didn't have the courage to do. And he's, he's kind of expressing that through their death, they can bring that about. And I think that's a really 
powerful connection there too. Yeah, that fire is nice imagery. Definitely ties back to a lot of Christian Catholic things. You know, we have the Holy Spirit, tongues of fire type piece. You mm-hmm. know, I recall from uh, the book of Revelation, Jesus is a little bit frustrated and he's speaking to one of the churches and he says, you're, you're lukewarm. You're neither hot nor cold. How I wish you were hot or cold, but since you are lukewarm, I will spit you out of my mouth. Right. You know, that especially this the new evangelization and evangelization in general must be lit with the fire of the Holy Spirit and we must be excited and to share that. So yeah, I agree. I like that imagery that Poe uses there. You know, we were talking a little bit earlier about some of the the pluses and minuses for us in a couple things. And, you know, there's this one part that I'll, I'll jump to a little bit at the end, if you remember when they're going to break down the door and the Empire or the First Order has that device that's going to blow blow it down. It's kind of like a mini Death Star type piece and yeah. Finn, Finn's flying at it, you know, and we'll touch on self-sacrifice in a minute here, but he's flying at it. And I'm like, you know, he's going to go in and Rose is telling him not to go in and not to go in. And then her ship comes along and knocks his out, right? You know, I'm just thinking, wait a second. She was already turned around going the other way. <laughs> and he's going at maximum speed right. at this thing. How did her ship have enough time to go around the outside and come along and smack him out of the air? Okay, fine. So we'll just <laughs> let that all go, shall we? But what did you think of, I mean, she has a pretty powerful line coming out of that after they crashed their ships. What did she say there? How do you feel about it? Yeah, so she said something along the lines of, that's how we're going to win. Not fighting what we hate, but saving what we love. And that was something that was really, really powerful to me. First of all, I thought Poe was gone. I thought that would have been a really beautiful, self-sacrificial way to go, but that's neither here nor there. You mean Finn, right? Uh, Finn, sorry, 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 sorry. Right. Yeah, thanks for catching me there. But I think that's, that's a really powerful quote that Rose has there because it helps us focus on what does it mean, what keeps these rebels, what keeps the good guys the good guys is that they are not turning to hate. And that's a really big theme throughout all of the Star Wars movies, you know? Mm-hmm. When we embrace our hatred, that is when we turn to the dark side. We see that in Anakin. We see that when they're trying to corrupt Luke in the original trilogy. And I think that's a really powerful statement here, too, that when we do something out of hatred, that is when we're, we're leading to the dark side or to, towards sin. But when we do something out of love for people that we love, love of our neighbors, love of God, that is when we're, we're leading towards the light side or, or more of what we're created to be. But it also kind of gives us the idea of forgiveness. So when we do something out of hatred, we have resentment towards them. And, and this bitterness just leads to, to more, more sin and, and more resentment and, and more bitterness. But when we forgive them, we're able to do something out of love instead. And we're kind of able to push that, those differences aside and focus more on Okay, what is the positive and, and how can I serve rather than how can I destroy? And I think that's a really powerful statement. And I think that's really big for our faith, too, in that from the very beginning, Christ has always taught forgiveness and love. Christ is love. God is love. Deus caritas est, right? When we embrace that, we're able to embrace who we are meant to be, who we're created to be so much more because we are embracing God through that. Yeah. Like Rose's comment here is very Jedi-like, isn't it? You know, that's how we're going to win. Not fighting what we hate, but saving what we love. It seems like it's bringing, like you're, you're saying, it's bringing in this wisdom that the Jedi would have. I think Obi-Wan is talking to Yoda about it being a victory. And he says, victory, you know, the shroud of the dark side has fallen. This is no victory. This is this is bad. And we think of that, oh, down the bad guys aggressively, physically. But isn't that kind of what they were expecting with the Messiah originally? And yeah. Yoda would always turn that on its head and say, 
you know, this is not what's most important. This is not what our values as Jedi truly are. And as Christians and Catholics, I think you're right on the money that that's not what our values are. I really do like Rose. I think she's gotten quite a bit of flack, but I, I really do like a lot of the stuff that she does. And obviously something that's really, really big throughout all eight movies we've seen so far in, in the newest movie here. And she sacrifices herself for the remaining rebels. We see Rose willing to sacrifice her life for Finn's. We see Finn trying to sacrifice his life. We see himself for his son. We see all these different connections. Obi-Wan in the original movies there sacrifice. Uh, I think there's a really powerful testimony of this Christ-like figure. And so you want to kind of explain. Oh, absolutely. I, I agree. I think self-sacrifice is one of the most powerful topics. You know, I'd like to focus primarily on Luke, especially since the, the end of this and oh, Luke's death ties so into good. this, right? So I got to be honest, the first time that I saw the movie, I kind of came out of it. And my biggest problem was Luke, he wanted to die anyway. He tells us that he went to Octu, that island planet. He just wanted to die. He basically wanted to give up and he wanted the Jedi Order to die as well. And I thought that basically Luke, you know, he did this mirage, he did this fake battle with Kylo Ren. And then afterward, I was, you know, the twist came and I didn't catch the clues, the lightsaber, the foot on the salt and not scraping the salt away. You know, I missed the clues because yeah. I wanted him to be there. Our blinders go on because we wanted him to really be there. And then when it turns out that he's not there and he faked out Kylo Ren and he was successful in what he did, you know, I was so thrown by that, that when they go back to Luke, he's exhausted. And when he comes out of his his meditation and, and having bilocated, basically, which is, we mentioned St. Padre Pio last time. That's yeah. another Another charism that St. Pio had is he could be in two places at once. He could Absolutely. bilocate. So once Luke does this, he falls off, almost backward, I think, off of where he was seated, uh, meditating, overlooking the water. And he's barely able to crawl back up on that rock and then to, to hesitate for a moment as he's looking off into the two suns, you know, which mirrors back to when he's on Tatooine as a young boy and he's dreaming looking at the two sons of his future the two sons on on Tatooine that binary star system and here he is doing it again you know at the end of his life you know it's beautiful imagery there and what they were able, able to do but I thought the first time that he died because he basically just let go mm -hmm. and that he basically just gave up and I was like no the hero for it to be to have good Christ-like imagery and I think for it to relate deeply with us as human persons is that the hero hero needs to offer himself in a self-sacrifice, which is why we make the connections to all these other characters that you had previously listed. I was like, no, they got it wrong. But the second time I watched the film, the next day, because I went with my wife the next day, <laughs> I went with a bunch of friends uh, on opening night, I was paying, trying to pay closer attention. And the first time that Kylo Ren and Rey are brought together in the Force, and they make that connection. Kylo Ren is looking around, and it's almost like an, an off-the-cuff comment. It's almost like, you know, like a subtext. He says, you can't be doing this. The effort alone would kill you. And the light bulb went off in my head. And I was like, that, that's it. That's what happened, is that we learn later that Snoke is bringing them together. But Snoke is not bilocating. He's not bringing himself into that position. He's not maintaining the illusion for the length of time that Luke has to do. So I don't think it took as much effort for Snoke to do it. You know, mm -hmm. let, let's assume that Snoke and Luke are of relatively equal power. You know, it, it doesn't require Snoke's life, I don't think, to draw those two together because he just brings them together in the force and then they do the interacting. Sure. With Luke, he has to bring himself there, create that whole illusion. He has to maintain it for long enough for the resistance to escape. So 
then I watched the ending again, and that's when I saw more clearly. Luke is exhausted. He falls off the back. He barely crawls up. He, he's spent himself. I think we were talking about beforehand, and you use that word. He is completely spent and offered himself as a self-sacrifice. And I really like how it ties back to Obi-Wan here, really nicely to episode four, because Obi-Wan goes to battle with Darth Vader on the Death Star. And why is he doing this? I mean, it seems crazy that he's doing it, like you know, a suicide run. And of course, he makes the comment that strike me down and I will become more powerful than you can possibly imagine, of course. But I think a, a deeper element and motivation for what Obi-Wan Kenobi was doing is he was the mirage. He was the distraction that prevented Darth Vader from recognizing the rebels, Han and Leia and Chewie and, yeah. and Luke and the droids from getting back on the Millennium Falcon and flying away. But I think even more importantly, he's the distraction that keeps Vader focused on him, on Obi-Wan in the Force, as opposed to allowing Vader to recognize that his son, his progeny, is present on the Death Star, and that is who he would want to capture and bring before Emperor Palpatine to try to corrupt later. Had he noticed that that early, he could have corrupted Luke much earlier. I think that that Obi-Wan's distraction was to keep that a new hope, to keep Luke alive. And we see the same thing happen with Luke. Luke offers himself at the end of The Last Jedi, this new episode eight, as a way of distracting the First Order, distracting Kylo Ren long enough that the Resistance can make their way out the back of the cave system and escape with Rey and basically have a new hope. Because he says to Kylo at the end of their battle, the Resistance, the new rebellion, is born this day. Wow. That is really good. I think kind of going off of that, if you're looking at it as that, it's even deeper into the idea of self-sacrifice and this, this Christ figure in that he's taking on the evil so that the, the others don't have to, you know, taking on the sins of the world so that the rest of us could be free. Indeed. I think, I think that's a really good comparison. Another really good point that I like from this one is when Yoda comes back. So that was... That was really, really fun. It's always good to have Yoda in any of the movies. <laughs> and who didn't go nuts when the camera panned across these these green ears with the blue shimmer of the force ghost <laughs> behind them? I mean, come on. Yeah, so it it's always great when, when Yoda's in there. I don't know. It's always funnier. You know, he, he, <laughs> he's a great comic relief, but he always has such good wisdom, too. And one of the great things that he, he shared in this is he said to Luke, the greatest teacher failure is. And... Later on, he also has a quote somewhere. He says, the burden of every teacher is watching the students go beyond them. And I think at first glance, this is, is kind of looking at just this parent figure of, okay, well, they need to make their mistakes to learn their lessons. But I think there's also something deeper when we take these two quotes and put them together. So the first one, the greatest teacher failure is, we see that failure is kind of this personified teacher for us. So if we Keep that in mind, the next quote, if we kind of put failure in where it says teacher, the burden of every failure is watching its student go beyond it. So it's watching us, the students, go beyond our failures. So when I heard this, the first thing that came to mind for me was this 10th Avenue North song. If you're familiar with 10th Avenue North, they have some lyrics where it goes something along the lines of, you're more than the choices that you make. You know, you're more than your failures. And that's kind of the, the sense that I got when I combined these two quotes together. When failure sees us going beyond our mistakes, it's kind of the downfall of the power that it has over us. You know, when we're able to realize that we are so much more than, than our, our problems, our issues, whatever they may be, and we're able to 
look at our identity through Christ's eyes instead. So I think that was a really powerful point too. But one of the, the biggest points that I think we wanted to talk about was the force. So there was a lot of different force stuff throughout this movie that we wanted to talk about mm-hmm. and really throughout the entire eight movies. So much so we could probably do an entire podcast or <laughs> book or in your case chapters talking about them. And one of the first things that I wanted to bring up was the way that the Jedi's learn to use the force. So in the prequels, we learn about how from a very young age, Jedi's were, were taken very, very young and then trained vigorously over years and years and years. And then in the original three movies, we see Luke who goes to his training very briefly and then moves forward and, and he kind of comes into his powers there. And then we have Rey in the newest trilogy who has virtually no training other than the, what, she got two lessons eventually, right? <laughs> nice. she, never, she never even got the third lesson, if I remember correctly. And that was kind of the extent that she had. And we kind of see that sometimes God works in kind of this miraculous moment. And sometimes he works through these small things that shape us throughout our lives. And I think as we reflect back on our lives, we see different points where God has influenced us and, and kind of worked in our lives if we're reflecting on that over and over again. You kind of took that in a different direction too. You want to talk about how, how you kind of saw that? Yeah. So in terms of looking at exactly the training involved, that kind of stuff, you know, an imagery that comes to mind for me is the sacraments and how some people come into the church very young. You know, they're born into it. They get baptized into it. They have years and years of training and catechesis as they, they grow older, receive First reconciliation, first communion, confirmation, grow into adulthood, you know, may move into religious life, holy orders, matrimony, you know, all of the things that come along with that. There's some people that go throughout that entire process, you know, all throughout their lives. You know, like basically it's a prequel era approach. It's, you know, you get this youth, you realize it's force sensitive, you bring the child to the Jedi temple, they're trained in the ways of the force from very early on. And if I understand from my sources accurately, part of the reason why they do that is so that they can teach these younglings how to avoid the dark side from Mm -hmm. early on. So part of the hesitation related to Anakin is that Anakin's too old. He's already, what, 10 years old by the Phantom Menace by episode one, so he hasn't had that orientation to resist the dark side. He already has a lot of fear and has to give up his mother and, and these kinds of things. So it seems like there's more volatility when you bring somebody in later in the game, but it's certainly possible. So relating that to Catholicism, you have somebody who comes in at maybe 15 years old, 18 years old, 20, 40, 80, you know, they would get, you know, if they're a catechumen, they could get all the sacraments through RCIA very quickly. They could get baptism, confirmation, for example, you know, and that seems to be a little bit more of the Ray approach. It seems like Ray yeah. gets these sacraments very, very quickly and that it's a, it's an unlocking and an awakening of the force. And in Ray's case, it happens all at once, but it also allows for that volatility. We see that in Anakin. We see that in Luke, how Luke runs away from his train. And even now in The Last Jedi, there's a bit of a desperation and the force is being especially unlocked in ways that are needed to balance the force better, to bring about the goodness of the force, which wouldn't be necessary so much when you had so many Jedi and so many Padawan. You might say maybe it's like today, but in the inverse, how in the early church, there was an especial unlocking of the Holy Spirit that allowed the church to spread and move throughout Europe and gain converts and save souls, whereas it's kind of a given in our country 
country, although it's certainly under attack in recent years, it's a little bit more of a given. So there may not be as much of a desperation for this unlocking, if you will. Kind of looking into that scene where Ray kind of gives in momentarily to the the darkness, I think that tells us a lot about the Force right there. And there's a conversation between Luke and Ray where he's trying to teach her to recognize and kind of... Do you want to take one part and I'll take one part? Yeah, sure. So I'll I'll read Luke if you want to do Ray. Hey, sure. Cool. So Luke says, breathe. Just breathe. Reach out with your feelings. What do you see? The island, life, death and decay, feeds new life. Warmth, cold. Peace, violence. And between it all? Balance. Energy, a force. And inside of you? Inside me, the same force. There is something else beneath the island, a place, a dark place. Balance. Powerful light, powerful darkness. And so we get this idea of, of this balance uh, that kind of goes back and forth, this darkness and this light. Later on, when Snoke is talking to Rey, he says something again where he's talking about Kylo Ren And he says, darkness rises and light to meet it. I warned my apprentice that as he grew stronger, his equal in the light would rise. So this idea that as the dark grows, so does the light. And so when we look at just these quotes, we start to get kind of this idea of the force as an almost Taoist power. You know, this yin and yang, dark and light, balancing, always equal. But as we were discussing kind of before this, you presented it in a different light that I think has shown throughout more of the movie. And I think that's a really interesting point. You want to talk about that a little bit? Sure. You know, George Lucas, when he made Star Wars, he definitely used, and we mentioned last time, Joseph Campbell and the mythologies present throughout human cultures and religions to tap into kind of a human psyche, which I think is part of the reason why Star Wars is so successful internationally and, and gets people's attention because people can relate to things that they see in Star Wars. And I think you're right. When people think about the Force and they often refer to the balance of the force, that it's very easy to jump to a Taoist, a yin-yang, a balance, meaning that the light side and the dark side are evil, and they're always in constant conflict, a very dualistic kind of idea, which is how early Christians struggled with looking at, at the faith. You know, is, is it dualistic? Is there a balance between the good side and the dark side, and they're equally opposed, locked in an internal battle? But in Star Wars, they almost seem to equivocate on the term of balance. You know, so you've got to be really careful when listening to Star Wars how they're using the term balance. Oftentimes, they'll just refer to the Force. When they just say the Force, they actually mean the light side of the Force. When they're talking about the dark side of the Force, then they have to identify it specifically and say the dark side of the Force. Mm-hmm. So it seems to me that there's definitely an argument to be made to say that it's a lot more Christian than it is Buddhist, that the reality of the nature of the Force is that it is actually good and it is all good, and that what we see from the dark side is a twisting of the good, which is very similar to what we have in Christianity. God only creates good things. God does not create evil. I mean, take Satan, for example. God didn't create Satan as evil. He created 
Lucifer as an angel of light, not as the the prince of darkness, if you will. And it was Satan's own pride, if you will, or his own falling, uh, choosing to do his own will as opposed to God's will, that twists his character and turns him into something evil. All of our sins are oftentimes motivated by good things, and we end up twisting those and making those into things that are evil. You know, so whenever the Jedi are talking about balance, what they actually mean is is being in the light. In fact, in that same scene that you were talking about Clint, when Luke is talking to Ray, he refers back to Ben Solo and he says that he was in balance for a time and now he's out of balance. And that doesn't mean that he's balancing light and dark, that that was the balance that he was in. But no, when he was in balance, actually things were good. You know, if we think back to the greatest lightsaber battle in Star Wars history, uh, if I may impose my opinion, uh, in episode three, Revenge of the Sith, when Obi-Wan Kenobi and Anakin are going at it, it's just phenomenal lightsaber battle. And at the end, Obi-Wan says to Anakin, you were the chosen one. It was said that you would destroy the Sith, not join them. It was you who would bring balance to the Force, not leave it in darkness. Obi-Wan is not trying to say that the Force in balance is a little bit good and a little bit bad. That's what Palpatine is saying. That's part of Sidious's temptation of Anakin is that you need to know a little of the good and a little bit of the bad. When we do that, we actually become dark lords. We become Sith. So that type of dualistic balance is very much a Sith mentality. Whereas Obi-Wan, what he wants is the eradication of evil. He wants the complete destruction and defeat of evil and darkness. And that is the balance that he says Anakin was supposed to bring to the, to the galaxy. I think that's actually a fact that that's the best battle scene in, in the entire uh, <laughs> series, but that's unimportant. <laughs> so so I, I think that's a really good point. And I, I have one more kind of thought on, on the Force, and this is always a really, really big one and has a little bit of contention there as well. So we see this idea of death into the Force. So when the Jedi die, they kind of become a part of the Force. And if we look at it kind of on the shallow level, we see kind of this Buddhist or this Hindu idea of our soul or our energy going and being with the ultimate energy and kind of just becoming one. Mm -hmm. But again, we had this conversation before and we talked a little bit about how when we look deeper into it, we see some of these, these characters and some of the more powerful characters find a way where they kind of separate themselves a little bit from that. And I, I think there's a lot to get from that too. You want to kind of talk about what, what we see there as well? Right. So if you see Jedi or other people dying in Star Wars, you know, they just, their bodies fall to the ground and they just die. And basically what happens is they get transformed into the force as mm -hmm. we understand it, which like you indicated, seems very Hindu in its approach that a person dies, they become reunited with Brahman. I mean, this throws out the whole reincarnation piece in Samsara that's also built into it. But assuming just one life, which is a Western idea, that would be Judeo-Christian, assuming one life, they become one with Brahman if you will. Again, very Hindu type approach. And they lose their personality. They just become one with the force. So when Qui-Gon dies, for example, it's not that they thought that Qui-Gon would live on, but rather that Qui-Gon would become one with the ultimate reality of the universe. He'd become one with the force again, if you will. Uh, but originally, from the original trilogy, that's not how we saw Jedi die. When Obi-Wan dies in episode four, 
he disappears. He gets sliced through by Darth Vader and his body disappears and his cloak falls to the ground. What we especially learned about in the prequels, especially Revenge of the Sith, episode three, and then even more so in the Clone Wars animated series after that, is that a Jedi, when he becomes transformed into the Force, or when she, you know, for a female Jedi, becomes transformed into the Force. And the Jedi are not the first to do this. Uh, Qui-Gon Jinn actually learned it from Force priestesses or a shaman of the wills that's not perfectly clear to me exactly who he learned it from, but Qui-Gon puts, puts uh, Yoda in touch with these Force priestesses in what were the lost missions, what would have been season six of the Clone Wars, where Yoda goes to be trained in how to, when he dies, retain his individual consciousness when he becomes one with the Force. And it's interesting because those priestesses before they will train him in how to do this, they put him through trials and they directly point blank ask him, have you come here with only goodness in your heart and only light in your heart? So they're basically asking him, they wanna make sure that he doesn't pervert this power, that he's only gonna use this power for good. So what the Sith are constantly seeking is ultimate power and they end up not being able to achieve it. Plagueis can't even keep himself alive in the, even though he can keep others from dying. Sidious takes control of basically the entire galaxy and yet he is overturned by Darth Vader unexpectedly and kills him. So the ultimate power that the Sith are seeking, they are not able to achieve because they're being selfish. Whereas the Jedi who are being ultimately selfless, Yoda, Luke, Obi-Wan Kenobi, they are the ones who are able to achieve this ultimate power, this immortality. The, what Obi-Wan had said to Vader, if you strike me down, I shall become more powerful than you can possibly imagine. You know, tying into this whole force ghost thing, you know, some people ask, why does Anakin get to become a force ghost? Well, there's a little bit of that that gets teased out in, in the Clone Wars a little bit, but that he knew that this was possible because he had some interaction with Qui-Gon, with Obi-Wan Kenobi in the Clone Wars. So he had this idea that this might be possible. And some big fans of the original Star Wars trilogy, when they see Anakin as a force ghost, in the original one, he's the old man the actor who played Darth Vader, who Luke uncovers, takes off, off the mask, and Anakin appears as the old man. But when George Lucas redid Star Wars, after he did Attack of the Clones, he puts in Hayden Christensen, uh, the actor who played Anakin in the prequels, as Darth Vader. And original Star Wars fans who've seen it you know, for, for decades and decades and decades tended to not like that edition. But I tend to side now, originally I was in that camp, but I tend to side now with Dave Filoni, who is the executive director of The Clone Wars. He basically said, it doesn't make sense mythologically for Anakin to maintain the guise of the old man afterward in the Force because he was never good. The old man was never good. And here's what Filoni says, quote, he was never balanced when he was that person. He was the wicked old man, so he had to shed that skin and everything else so he appears as a young man. So the Anakin who's able to live on is the Anakin who was balanced. And here we go back to our previous conversation as well, that balance in the Force is actually being all good, not having the dark side. Holy cow. <laughs> There's a lot of really good stuff in there. So hopefully you guys got all that. If you need to listen to it a couple of times, I don't blame you. I'll probably have to go back through this a few times just to really hammer down all the, the different connections in here. For the challenge this week, I really want to go back to that Poe Dameron quote where we talked about the light and the fire. So I want you guys to think this week, what are you doing to be that light, that fire for the people that you encounter right now? What in your life are you doing to show Christ to others? And if the answer is nothing or you can't think of anything, then maybe that's something we need to work on 
right now. So again, go ahead and think on that for this week. Take that to prayer and see what you can be doing in your life for that. So Anthony, do you have any last minute shout outs for this one? Well, I got to say it was great joining you for these these couple episodes. Uh, always great to be a part of this. And you know, I love the work that you're doing. If a teacher, you know, going back to what we talked about earlier, Yoda says that the burden of every teacher is watching their <laughs> students go beyond them. It's always bittersweet to watch students move on. But uh, this has been a sweet moment for me to keep up with all the th- great things that you're doing, Clint. And, wonderfully proud of everything that you're doing and Beckman Catholic is certainly proud of all that great work and and the lives that you're touching so you know I I just I want to offer this uh, all of this up this great stuff with this podcast connecting culture and Catholicism and our recent discussions here on talking about Star Wars and Catholicism offered up to God and his greater glory because the beautiful things that we see in culture I think they're they're true and we recognize them as beautiful because they are a reflection of God and his church and the truth that God gives to us. So thanks be to God for all of that out. Shout out to God. <laughs> Absolutely. And I want to give you a big thank you for coming and doing these too. Obviously, like I said, I know some about Star Wars, but again, you're the expert and it's been a lot of fun getting back together and doing this. And I know it's been a couple of years since I've come back and, and visited. So it's really good to, to see you again and kind of reminisce a little bit and geek out because I always appreciate having a a fellow geek to talk about these things with and it's always better when we can tie in our faith so I want to give you a shout out for that too and I want to give a shout out to my younger brother Clay as well because I would not have a ride here without him because I flew to Iowa so I don't have a car right now so uh, shout out to Clay thanks for letting me steal your car for the morning so I could um, record these episodes and with that I want to thank you guys for joining us on the adventure and we'll see you again soon